Yes. Yes. We've been looking this summer at the book of Isaiah, and we have used Isaiah chapter 6 as a model, a framework for Isaiah's message and his ministry, uh, that God brought Isaiah through an experience in Isaiah 6, it's recorded, in which he saw God in all of his glory. And when he saw holy God, he confessed his sin. Because once we see God for who he is, then we see our lives for who we are. At that point in the story, God takes the initiative to cleanse him or to purify him from sin. And so the third step of what we've talked about, the road to holiness, is purification from sin. And we learned last week that purification from sin is God's work. In Isaiah 6, 6 and 7, uh, if you remember that, it says that one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Purification from sin is God's work. It is of His doing. God has a solution God has a plan. God is the one who will take care of our sin, which is at the very core of the process of the road to holiness. Throughout the book of Isaiah, one of the prominent names for God is not only, we learned the first week, uh, the Holy One of Israel, but one of the second most prevalent names for God. In fact, I looked it up in my concordance. This name for God is used more in Isaiah than any other book in the whole Bible, and it is the name Savior. All through the book of Isaiah, God says, I will be your Savior. And what God means by that is, I'm going to take care of your sin problem. I have a solution. He is going to do it. He does not put the burden on us so that we can bridge the gap between us and Him. God is the one who will bridge the gap and reach down to us And what Isaiah says, or what is recorded in Isaiah, is that God will do that for His own glory. In in Isaiah, and you can write this down, but in Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own glory sake there's several verses like that in isaiah god says i will be the savior i will be the one who will take care of your sin problem and so there is there is there is a means of us being reconciled to god and it is what i want you to understand this morning is that it is god who provides the ultimate solution for our sin problem. There's something quite amazing in the book of Isaiah. I shared this several months ago when we were talking about the cross. In fact, I even preached from this chapter that Sunday. 
And what I shared that Sunday is that the book of Isaiah parallels the Bible as a whole. There are 66 books in the Bible. There are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. Uh, The book of Isaiah is divided. Well, let me say, the Bible is divided from the Old Testament, which has 39 books. The New Testament has 27 books to total 66. The book of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39, are about the judgment of God. And in chapter 40 through 66, the last 27 chapters of Isaiah, he talks about the hope that we have uh, and his redemption. Now those are generalizations and there's other aspects to that breakdown. But one of the most interesting components to this is that when you take the New Testament section of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 66, which is 27 chapters, and you come to the middle chapter, you come to Isaiah chapter 53. And if ever there is a place in the Old Testament where the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed in the Old Testament, it is Isaiah chapter 53. And it is at the very center of the quote-unquote New Testament section of the book of Isaiah. It is at the very heart, even as the cross is at the very heart of the New Testament message. And this is what God reveals 600 years before Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53. That in response to our sin problem, God will send a Savior. And in Isaiah 53, that Savior is described. Now, Brother Darrell likes to do alliteration, and it just helps me remember these words. Can I show my S words on the screen? What we discover in Isaiah 53 is that 600 years before Jesus, God prophesied through Isaiah that the Savior would come. He would be a man who was simple. He would be characterized by suffering. His death would be a sacrifice. His death would be a substitute for us. And he would be a sinless man. Now, there are probably other S words and there's other ways I can describe it, but before I begin to read Isaiah 53, I wanted you to see the big picture that God in the midst of the message of of Him communicating that I am going to take care of your sin problem, He begins to describe a Savior who would come to take our sin. I want us to walk just for the next few moments through the 12 verses of Isaiah 53 and I want us to see the Savior simple suffering sacrifice substitute and sinless in Isaiah 53 verse 1 there are two questions that are asked that are very significant and the scripture says who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed Who has believed? Whom has God revealed 
his work too. Uh, sometimes questions are asked with an with, uh, with, uh, implied answer. And actually, when you, when you study the book of Isaiah and you see this, and I'll show you some verses in Isaiah chapter 6, the implied answer is to Isaiah's questions, not many. And we're actually going to see that in subsequent Sundays. Who has believed our report and whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? Who gets it? Who sees what it is that God wants to do? Who has believed what we have to say? And actually, from the Isaiah 6 passage, in which Isaiah encountered God, after Isaiah says, Here am I, send me, God says to him in Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, and he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. There is something at the very start of Isaiah's ministry that God communicates to Isaiah and he says, I want you to spend, he didn't say next 50 years, but this is what happened. You're going to spend the next 50 years of your life And you're going to be the spokesman for me to tell the people to turn back to me. But the reality is, the vast majority of them will not believe what you have said. Their hearts will not be open to receive the message. But Isaiah, you continue to proclaim the message. And so when we come to Isaiah chapter 53, this is the context in which these questions are asked. Who has believed our report? It is a pro, it's the prophet's way of saying not many people have believed. But the second question I think is even more significant. And he says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Whose eyes have been opened to see the arm of the Lord or how God has chosen to work? And what he's talking about, who is it that has seen and believed God's means for us to be restored to Him? I know you may not, I'm trying to get you to to come to this place to understand what the prophet was saying. The prophet is saying most people will not believe. They will not get it. I will talk about, I think the Sunday after next, about the remnant. But there is something right after this in Isaiah, and it's verses that you've heard many times. In Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your, I'm sorry, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I really need you to understand this this morning. That God works in ways that don't always make sense to our human minds. And when it comes to the sin problem and what God did to solve that sin problem, God's answer is different than our answer. Most human beings 
would say, if I'm not right with God, then I've got to get my act together and I've got to do better and I've got to live up to these moral standards and then somehow if I can do all, I can do all of that, then I can get right with God. Those are human ways. They are not God's ways. Those are our thoughts. Those are not His thoughts. There is something that God wants to reveal to us, specifically in Isaiah 53 and the question is to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed who is it whose eyes have been opened to see God's means of salvation and the answer comes in these subsequent verses there is a savior that God is sending to take care of our sin problem there is a person who is coming all of these years, I think, in the context of Isaiah, you have been sacrificing animals to get right with God. But I want you to know that the day will come that God will send the Savior. And it will not be something that comes from you. It will be something that comes from Him. Sin is a violation against holy God. God must deal with the sin problem in our lives, not us. And I'm telling you, in the scheme of our human thinking, that flips it. And what I'm asking you to do is to see what God says is His means of dealing with our sin problem. It is a person. It is a Savior. And so starting in verse 2, He says, For He shall grow up before Him as a tender plant. I didn't count this. But the third person masculine pronoun is used over and over and over and over in these verses. He, him, he, him, he, him. And what God is communicating in Isaiah 53 is his ultimate solution for the sin problem is a savior, is a person who will come. The savior will come to deal with your sin problem. And he begins to describe him. The other word, as we see in verses 2 and 3, is that he will be a man that will not be the person you would go, Oh, yeah, that guy would be a great Savior. He's, he's great looking. He's charismatic. He has all these natural abilities. Oh, that's the guy that can come and solve all of our problems. Remember? God's thoughts are not our thoughts and His ways are not our ways. And what is recorded in two, verses 2 and 3 is that the Savior that will come, and I've just used an S word, will be someone who is very simple. He will not be the guy that you look at and go, oh wow, He'd make a great Savior. No. From a human perspective, He's not the guy you would pick. And it's one of the ways that God flips the whole thing. And to say, I'm sending a person, but he's going to be very simple. And he's not going to be a human, a human perspective. Humans are not going to be attracted to him because of his outward appearance. And he records that in 2 and 3. He says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness and when we see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised 
and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. It's almost as if he lived incognito. There is no attractiveness. There is no beauty. There is no reason to be drawn by him. Not only that from a human perspective, but it says, but that he will be rejected. All through the book of Isaiah, he has been talking about this person. This person who would come. We think of these scriptures as Christmas scriptures, but Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. A son would be born to be the solution to sin in 9, 6, for unto us a child. What is more simple, what is more vulnerable than a child? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. A son, a child. He's described in chapter 11 as the root of Jesse. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jesse is the house of David. Later in chapter 11, verse 10, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious there is a person who is coming finally in chapter 42 this person is described as what God describes him as my servant so all through Isaiah there is someone who is coming but it's recorded here that he will be a man who is very simple but in Isaiah 53 is also a man that will, his life will be characterized by suffering. And so it says in verse 4 and 5, Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him by, and by his stripes we are healed. Do you see the words that are used to describe the Savior who would come? Griefs, sorrow, stricken, smitten, afflicted, uh, wounded, bruised, stripes. It doesn't make any sense from the human perspective, but the Savior who would come would not only be a simple man that would not be attractive to the human eye, but he would be a man whose life is characterized by suffering. Which also does not make sense if you're going to be the Savior. If you're going to be the one sent from God to solve this, this, this ultimate problem, why would your life be characterized by suffering? It is because His life and His death would be a sacrifice. So in verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us 
in the midst of a religious system in Isaiah's day in which they brought the lambs to be sacrificed so that their sins might be atoned for, the ultimate solution was the Savior, a simple man, whose life would be characterized by suffering and particularly at his death, he would be a sacrifice like the lambs you sacrifice every day whose blood is shed so that you might be made right with me. God will send the sacrifice. Anything that comes from man is always going to be tainted. And anything that comes from my life is ultimately not going to get me to God. God has to bridge that gap. And he said, I will send the Savior who will be a sacrifice. The other S word that I've kind of glossed over in 4, 5, and 6 is the word substitute. Because what the Bible says is his suffering will be a substitute for us. It will be a payment for our sins, not his sins. And we've already seen that in 4, 5, and 6. But let me read it again. And you heard it the first time, I'm sure, when I read it. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Uh, verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement or the punishment for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And yes, in verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the end of verse 6, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our sins was placed on him. Brother Barry and I were talking about this very point last Sunday after church, that in the, in the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, the hand of the one who was sacrificing would place their hand on that animal before it was sacrificed to say, I am transferring my sin to that animal and that animal will die for my sins God uses that very imagery he says God the Father will place his hand on the Son and say I am I am laying the sins of all people of all type on you to bear and to die for and so he becomes a substitute for us that we should have died for our sin. Our sins were placed upon Him. Let me tell you, that doesn't make any sense from a human perspective. But remember, our thoughts are not His thoughts. Our ways are not His ways. This is God's means of salvation. A Savior who would be a simple man whose life was characterized by suffering, whose death would be a sacrifice, and be a, a substitute for us would be a substitute for our sins. And what is at least implied, if not explicit in these verses, is that final S word that I had on the list, sinless. He will be the sinless sacrifice. I think it's captured in verse 7 when he says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And one of the things we see in these verses is the prophecy of this Savior. And the picture is very clear. I, I want to read to the end of the chapter so you get all of this. So it says in verse 7 that when he dies, he will be silent. 
He will not protest. And then in verse 8 it says, He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare His generation? For He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people He was stricken. And He made His grave with the wicked. Two thieves on the cross. But with the rich, Joseph of Arimathea, at His death. Because He had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, was, he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I, I, God the Father, will divide him, the Savior, a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. All of the prophecies. That's right, Brother Ronnie. All of the prophecies. It is so clear. 600 years before Jesus, the picture that was painted of a Savior who would be a simple man whose life was characterized by suffering. His life, his death would be a sacrifice. It would be a substitute for our sin. And he would be that sinless sacrifice. All of the prophecies 600 years later were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. 600 years before, God said, here is my means of salvation. I'm going to take care of your sin problem. This is the ultimate solution and I'm going to paint this incredible picture. And it's not what you would expect. It's not who the Jews would have, would have picked. It would not be who we would have picked. To be the Savior of the world. But God's ways are not our ways. And His thoughts are not our thoughts. It is God's means of salvation. He is God. He is the one who has chosen to bridge the gap. And what I'm here to proclaim to you today is Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. He is the only means of salvation. There is no other. If you are under some kind of delusion today that you're going to get your life together and you're going to, you're going to do better and you're going to do the right thing and you're going, to, you're going to make your way to God, you do not understand the nature of the holiness of God. You cannot make it to holy God. Only holy God can make it to you. And He did it in the person of Jesus Christ. And He is the only way. He has done the work. This is what in... in in our big picture of the road to holiness, this is what I'm communicating to you today, is that we do not make our lives holy. God has to make our lives holy. That is not what we would expect. This sermon series is not about, not even about the Ten Commandments that I'm teaching the children, which there's a point to this. I'm not wagging my finger at you at the, as the Baptist preacher, preacher saying, you need to get your life together and you need to get on the road to holiness, and you need to be doing better, and you need to get it right, or get left, and all those things that you think the Baptist preacher would say. God's thoughts are not my thoughts, and His ways are not my ways. God said, I will take care of your sin problem. 
He will provide it through the Savior. We must only respond to what God has provided. God has taken the initiative and He has provided the way of salvation and holiness. He will take the initiative. We are not here to make our own lives holy. God will have to do that. And He will do that if we will respond to His movement and His activity. And the first step is the Savior who was sent as the ultimate solution for our sin problem. And Really, we go back to verse 1. Who will believe? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Whose eyes have been opened to see? But you know what? (laughs) I have to give up my pursuit because God has provided. And I must respond. We're going to get to that next Sunday. But apparently I'm out of time this Sunday. (laughs) We have to believe. We have to respond to the activity of God in our life in salvation and in holiness. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Uh, As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. The gospel has been presented this morning through the Old Testament. That God has provided the means of salvation. Jesus is the only way. The call in our lives as God opens our eyes is to respond and to believe in Jesus. It's that simple. To confess our sin, to acknowledge our state before God, and to say, I'm trusting in the means of salvation. Father, you have provided. Jesus said it in this way in John 14.6 I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this time, this morning, in this worship service is an opportunity for you to respond to the gospel that's been presented. I'm at the front. Byron's at the front. If you know you believe and you would choose to acknowledge your sin and to trust the Savior, we ask you.